How many parents have had one of your kids just be the, uh, the question machine? Anybody have one of those kids or multiple kids? You're, yeah, I, I, you're pointing at yourself. You are that kid. I love it. I respect it. I love it. Let's talk about some important life questions. Some important life questions. I think you would all agree with me that these are, are pretty important questions, right? The first one would be, will you marry me? How many have said that one? Men? Maybe some of you women? How many did not necessarily know where the, the truth in that answer was going to come from? Anybody? Anybody there? Joe? All right. I respect it. You guys are in the back back there. Something must have went right. The second one is, do I have the right values? Do I have the right values? This is not a comprehensive list, by the way, but just, you know, some, some questions that I thought of. Am I surrounded by the right people? It's a good question, right? Really good question. The fourth one is, do I like who I'm becoming? I like who I'm becoming. The fifth one is, am I becoming a good husband, wife, dad, mom? worker, friend, co-worker. Those are really important life questions. And then you have these important everyday questions, right? They don't seem as important, but they're, you know, they can be important in certain contexts, but have you ever heard this one? Would you like to upsize that value meal? <laughs> Never heard that one. How many always go for the yes on that option? All right, I've stopped doing that. Second one, I think this probably isn't a very important life question. Should be in the life question category, especially if you're married, but are you listening? Are you listening? I've never done this, that this is a couple of weeks ago. Did I turn off the stove? Have you ever done that? Or did I turn the iron off? I tell you, one of the greatest inventions was when they put that internal clock on the, on the iron and shut off by itself. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. But then you go, is it stable enough to where it didn't turn over and set itself? All these internal questions. But what about the most important question? The most important question, live stream. For those of you that are here, the most important question is, who do you say that Jesus is? That is the question that trumps all other questions. I tell my kids all the time, they're the two most significant things that you'll ever decide in your life. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe this, this is for you as well. It's the day that you decide to follow Jesus with everything you have. I mean, everything, not, not church, not, not a membership guide. No, I'm, I'm talking, you decide for yourself, you're going to follow Jesus with everything you got. And then the second one is who you marry. Those are the two most important decisions I believe that you'll ever make. I mean, agree with me. Jobs come and jobs go. You know, cars come and cars go. Houses come and houses go. Neighborhoods come and neighborhoods go. Cities come, cities go. But those are, are things that are incredibly important. They'll shape and change your life tremendously. 
And the first one informs the second one because if you follow Jesus with everything in your heart and you marry someone who follows Jesus and everyone in your heart, you're already at a really incredible place for the second one to be fulfilled and that is who you marry. But who do you say that Jesus is? And here's what I want you to see is that in this particular story that Bethany read, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And I want you to see they had just crushed it ministry-wise. They'd fed thousands of people. I mean, they, they, were, they were on their game. Jesus was at the peak of his ministry at this particular moment. But I want you to see everything shifted here. And to be honest with you, until I, I was reading this on the plane, I, I really did, I hadn't seen this before. The way that Jesus talked to the disciples changed after this conversation. Media team, will you guys put up that scripture for me? Matthew 16, the one that Bethany read. I want to read it again real quick. Now, keep in mind, they'd been ministering all over, all over the place. And they came to Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, now, keep in mind, Jesus was notorious for pulling his disciples away and just spending time with them. And he asked them this loaded question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, which means the entire group. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now let's put ourselves in this context for just a moment, okay? How many hate being in a group when a question is asked and you have to come up with something? I'm looking at some of you discipleship group people, okay? So Jesus puts them on the spot. And he goes, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. How many agree with me? That's not really an answer. It's just, yeah, well, you know, whatever. And then Jesus breaks every cardinal rule that will crush a parish group. If you do this in a parish group, people will not come back. He goes, but what about you? Looking at Peter. And he singles Peter out and he goes, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter's like, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, what I find funny about this is, Peter, why don't you just say that during the group portion? You could have saved yourself some embarrassment, the rest of everybody else some heat. But it wasn't until he was intentionally and directly asked, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, look at he says, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah. He used his full name. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So what we want you to see here is that there were the crowd, all of what everybody was saying, okay, similes of God, church of God, Jehovah Witness, this church, this church, my grandparents, my mom, my dad, this televangelist, TBN, television, this, this track I was given when I was 12, this high school teacher, all of this other stuff, okay? But Jesus said, no, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And then Peter responds by saying, you are the Messiah. And it was revealed in that moment by the Father. See, the question gets asked, but the revelation comes from the Father. And that's what I'm praying for 
each and every week, not just on a Good Friday, not just on Easter, but that our church, we would get a, a deepening revelation of who God is that can only be given by the Father, the Spirit of God unlocking something in our heart. Because let me tell you something, fam. When Good Friday gets in your spirit, you can't get it out. When, when you look at that cross and you realize what Jesus did for you, you can't get it out of your system. It's in your veins. It's, it's something that's just changed. And here's what happens. What did the Lord say? When Jesus looked at him and said, blessed. He didn't say, wow, you're right, man. And that's incredible. You, you, you're smart. No, he said, blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to be called blessed. And he said, I tell you this, Peter, on this rock, this revelation of Jesus being this Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's finish up with this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I just love Jesus. He's like, hey, all this was incredible. All this was great, but don't tell anybody. Now, what I want you to see here is this marked a shift in how Jesus started to talk to his disciples. Don't have time to get into it, but if you go to Matthew 16 and 21, what you'll see is that is the time that Jesus started to talk to the disciples about going to Jerusalem and dying. He shifted his language. Up until that point, it was just superficial conversation. It was just a few things here and there. But in verse 21, it shifts and he goes, hey, guess what? I'm going to have to go to that thing right there and barbarically murdered for your sin on behalf of the wrath of God. So that all eternity can now be yours, relationship with the Father, because of what I've done on the cross. Why is this important? Tim Keller has this quote. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue in which everything hangs on is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because here's the thing. If this happened, if Jesus going to the cross, being buried, and then coming back, if all of this weekend happened, how many would agree with me? That, that should inform how we live our lives. That changes everything. It's a game changer. Now, every question that gets asked has a different answer to it. And so, who is Jesus to you? And I'm being specific. I don't want to call names out, but I will. I'm just kidding. I don't want to call names out. But who is Jesus to you? I know who Jesus is to me. And some of you go, he's Savior. He's Father, he's friend, provider, healer, comforter, mentor. No, no. I don't want to hear from you on what the church has told you who Jesus is. I want you to tell me who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And the one thing that we don't really talk about a lot in the church is that we never say, man, we hear Jesus, Savior, Father, friend, provider, healer, 
we, even for those of you that have been in church for a long time, you may say Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophi. I mean, know the names of God. We've heard all of those before. But how many have ever said, you know, who's Jesus to you? Oh man, he was the blood sacrifice for my sin. I say that a lot. But he was. He was. And I can tell you this. Sin is what tries to separate me from the Father. But Jesus is always there to say, hey, come back. I've paid the price. I love you. It has been paid forever. Sin no longer has hold on you. You have been set free because of what He did for you on that cross. So we're dead to sin. So what is my fear tonight? What is my, is my pastoral compassionate heart for my people? What, is my, what does my compassionate heart say? Tim Keller says it like this. He said, the irreligious, they don't re- repent of sin at all. And it seems that the religious only repent of their sins. But true Christ followers repent of their wrongfully placed righteousness. He said, we're not going to really get everything that we can from the Father because we're living a life that's good, but not a life that is completely repentive and turned over to Him. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 10. I want to finish with this tonight. Just a little warning. This might be the most scripture that I've ever read at one time in church in my life. And it may be the longest scripture that I've ever read without doing any teaching on it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. It won't be up on the screen. We think this is Paul speaking. And he says this. The law is only a shadow. Verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? He's talking about the yearly sacrifices that the Israelites had to offer. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood 
of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifice and offerings burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, priests stand and perform his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he said, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. That's good, but we're not done. It gets better. He goes, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, 
It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light and you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourselves had better and lasting possessions. In verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You do not need persevere so that when you have done the will of God you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay dear Jesus please come quickly but my righteous one will live by faith and I will take pleasure and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back and this is the scripture that I want to end with but but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We are not a people that shrink back. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. We have confidence. Why? of what he did on the cross. When we sin and we fail and it happens, how do we enter? With confidence. Because we are not those that shrink back. When the enemy stands and says, I'm going to take your family, we are not those that shrink back. But we are the people of God bought with the price that stand in the house of the Lord and worship Him with everything in our souls because of the goodness and the greatness of a God that loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Family, that is Good Friday. Father, we thank You for Your Spirit and Your anointing. Lord, we just ask, God, that You would come. We are not those who shrink back. We're full of faith, confident in the goodness and the kindness of a God that loves us so, so very much. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.